Forward and Preface of Our Vanishing Wildlife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Vanishing Wildlife by William T. Hornaday. Forward and Preface. Forward. The preservation of animal and plant life, and of the general beauty of nature, is one of the foremost duties of the men and women of today. It is an imperative duty, because it must be performed at once, for otherwise it will be too late. Every possible means of preservation, sentimental, educational, and legislative, must be employed. The present warning issues with no uncertain sound because this great battle for preservation and conservation cannot be won by gentle tones, nor by appeals to the aesthetic instincts of those who have no sense of beauty or enjoyment of nature. It is necessary to sound a loud alarm, to present the facts in a very strong language, backed up by irrefutable statistics and by photographs which tell no lies, to establish the law and enforce it, if needs be, with a bludgeon. This book is such an alarm call. Its forceful pages remind me of the sounding of the great bells in the watch-towers of the cities of the Middle Ages, which called the citizens to arms to protect their homes, their liberties, and their happiness. It is undeniable that the welfare and happiness of our own, and of all future generations of Americans, are at stake in this battle for the preservation of nature against the selfishness, the ignorance, or the cruelty of her destroyers. We no longer destroy great works of art. They are treasured, and regarded as of priceless value. But we have yet to attain the state of civilization where the destruction of a glorious work of nature, whether it be a cliff, a forest, or a species of mammal or bird, is regarded with equal abhorrence. The whole earth is a poorer place to live in when a colony of exquisite egrets or birds of paradise is destroyed, in order that the plumes may decorate the hat of some lady of fashion, and ultimately find their way into the rubbish heap. The people of all the New England states are poorer when the ignorant whites, foreigners, or negroes of our southern states destroy the robins and other songbirds of the north for a mess of pottage. Travels through Europe, as well as all over a large part of the North American continent, have convinced me that nowhere is nature being destroyed so rapidly as in the United States. Except within our conservation areas, an earthly paradise is being turned into an earthly Hades, and it is not savages nor primitive men who are doing this, but men and women who boast of their civilization. Air and water are polluted, rivers and streams serve as sewers and dumping grounds, Forests are swept away, and fishes are driven from the streams. Many birds are becoming extinct, and certain mammals are on the verge of extermination. Vulgar advertisements hide the landscape, and in all that disfigure the wonderful heritage of the beauty of nature today, we Americans are in the lead. Fortunately, the tide of destruction is ebbing, and the tide of conservation is coming in. Americans are practical. Like all other northern peoples, they love money and will sacrifice much for it, but they are also full of idealism, as well as of moral and spiritual energy. The influence of the splendid body of Americans and Canadians who have turned their best forces of mind and language 
into literature and into political power for the conservation movement is becoming stronger every day yet we are far from the point where the momentum of conservation is strong enough to arrest and roll back the tide of destruction and this is especially true with regard to our fast vanishing animal life the facts and figures set forth in this volume will astonish all those lovers of nature and friends of the animal world who are living in a false or imaginary sense of security the logic of these facts is inexorable as regards our birds and mammals the failures of supposed protection in america under a system of free shooting are so glaring that we are confident this exposure will lead to sweeping reforms the author of this work is no amateur in the field of wildlife protection his ideas concerning methods of reform are drawn from long and successful experience the states which are still behind in this movement may well give serious heed to his summons and pass the new laws that are so urgently demanded to save the vanishing remnant the new york zoological society which is cooperating with many other organizations in this great movement sends forth this work in the belief that there is no one who is more ardently devoted to the great cause or rendering more effective service in it than william t hornaday we believe that this is a great book destined to exert a world-wide influence to be translated into other languages and to arouse the defenders and lovers of our vanishing animal life before it is too late henry fairfield osborne President of the New York Zoological Society, 10th of December, 1912. Preface The writing of this book has taught me many things. Beyond question, we are exterminating our finest species of mammals, birds, and fishes according to the law. I am appalled by the mass of evidence proving that throughout the entire United States and Canada, in every state and province, the existing legal system for the preservation of wildlife is fatally defective. There is not a single state in our country from which the killable game is not being rapidly and persistently shot to death, legally or illegally, very much more rapidly than it is breeding, with extermination for the most of it close in sight. This statement is not open to argument, for millions of men know that it is literally true. We are living in a fool's paradise. The rage for wildlife slaughter is far more prevalent today throughout the world than it was in 1872, when the buffalo butchers paved the prairies of Texas and Colorado with festering carcasses. From one end of our continent to the other, there is a restless, resistless desire to kill, kill. I have been shocked by the accumulation of evidence showing that all over our country and Canada, fully nine-tenths of our protective laws have practically been dictated by the killers of the game, and that in all save a very few instances, the hunters have been exceedingly careful to provide open seasons for slaughter, as long as any game remains to kill. And yet, the game of North America does not belong wholly and exclusively to the men who kill. The other 97% of the people have vested rights in it, far exceeding those of the 3%. Posterity has claims upon it that no honest man can ignore. I am now going to ask both the true sportsmen and the people who do not kill wild things to awake, 
and do their plain duty in protecting and preserving the game and other wildlife which belongs partly to us, but chiefly to those who come after us, can they be aroused before it is too late. The time to discuss tiresome academic theories regarding bag limits and different open seasons as being sufficient to preserve the game has gone by. We have reached the point where the alternatives are long closed seasons or a gameless continent, and we must choose one or the other speedily. A continent without wildlife is like a forest with no leaves on the trees. The great increase in the slaughter of songbirds for food by the negroes and poor whites of the south has become an unbearable scourge to our migratory birds. The very birds on which farmers north and south depend for protection from the insect hordes, the very birds that are most near and dear to the people of the north, songbird slaughter is growing and spreading, with the decrease of the game birds. It is a matter that requires instant attention and stern repression. At the present moment it seems that the only remedy lies in federal protection for all migratory birds, because so many states will not do their duty. We are weary of witnessing the greed, selfishness, and cruelty of civilized man toward the wild creatures of the earth. We are sick of tales of slaughter and pictures of carnage. It is time for a sweeping reformation and that is precisely what we now demand. I have been a sportsman myself, but times have changed, and we must change also. When game is plentiful, I believe that it is right for men and boys to kill a limited amount of it for sport and for the table. But the old basis has been swept away by an army of destruction that now is almost beyond all control. We must awake and arouse to the new situation face it like men, and adjust our minds to the new conditions. The three million gunners of today must no longer expect or demand the same generous hunting privileges that were right for hunters fifty years ago, when game was fifty times as plentiful as it is now, and there was only one killer for every fifty now in the field. The fatalistic idea that bag-limit laws can save the game is today the curse of all our game-birds, mammals, and fishes. It is a fraud, a delusion, and a snare. The miserable fetish has been worshipped much too long. Our game is being exterminated, everywhere, by blind insistence upon open seasons, and solemn reliance upon legal bag limits. If a majority of the people of America feel that so long as there is any game alive, there must be an annual two months or four months open season for its slaughter then assuredly we soon will have a gameless continent. The only thing that will save the game is by stopping the killing of it. In establishing and promulgating this principle, the cause of wildlife protection greatly needs three things, money, labor, and publicity. With the first, we can secure the second and third. But can we get it, and can we get it in time to save? This volume is in every sense a contribution to a cause, and as such it ever will remain. I wish the public to receive it on that basis. So much important material has drifted straight to it from other hands that this unexpected aid seems to the author like a good omen. The manuscript has received the benefit of a close and critical reading and correcting by my comrade on the firing line and esteemed friend, Mr. Madison Grant through which the text was greatly improved. 
but for the splendid encouragement and assistance that I have received from him and from Professor Henry Fairfield Osborne, the work involved would have borne down rather heavily. The four chapters embracing the new laws needed, a roll call of the states, were critically inspected, corrected, and brought down to date by Dr. T. S. Palmer, our highest authority on the game laws of the nation and the states. For this valuable service the author is deeply grateful. Of course the author is alone responsible for all the opinions and conclusions herein recorded, and for all errors that appear outside of quotations. I trust that the reader will kindly excuse and forget all the typographic and clerical errors that may have escaped me in the rush that had to be made against time. W. T. H. University Heights, New York December 1st, 1912 End of Forward and Preface